up the bank, rustling through the thick green foliage, and though it sounded big and made a lot of noise, he knew it was probably a squirrel, or even a mouse. They made an inordinate amount of noise as they traveled through the leaves and humus on the ground, and there was no heavy footfall feeling, as there would be with a moose or deer or bear, although bear usually were relatively quiet when they moved high-pitched scree of hawk or eagle hunting, and calling to his or her mate. He couldn't always tell yet between the cry of hawk and eagle. A yip of coyote, not wolf because it was not deep enough, and not a call, not a howl or a song, but more a yip of irritation. He had heard that yip before when he'd watched a coyote hunting mice by a huge old pine log, The log had holes beneath it from one side to the other, and the mice could dance back and forth beneath the log through the holes, while the coyote had to run around the end or jump over the top, and the mice simply scurried back and forth under it to avoid him. The coyote tried everything, hiding, waiting, digging a hole big enough for himself under the log so he could move back and forth, but nothing worked. After over an hour of trying to get at the mice... He finally stood on top of the log, looking down one side, then the other, raised his head, and looked right at Brian, as if he'd known Brian was there the whole time, and gave an irritated, downright angry yip. It was, Brian felt, a kind of swearing. Up ahead, four hundred yards, a moose was feeding in the lily pads, putting its head underwater to pull up the succulent roots and Brian knew it would be an easy kill if he wanted it. Canoes seemed such a part of nature to the animals in the wild, perhaps they thought canoes were logs, and if a person kept very still, it was often possible to glide right up next to an animal near the water. In many states it was illegal to hunt from a canoe for just that reason. Brian had once canoed up next to and touched a fawn standing in the shallows. And with feeding moose, it was simpler yet. All you had to do was scoot forward when the moose had its head underwater, and coast when its head was up looking around. Brian had plenty of arrows, a dozen and a half field points with sixty extra points and a hundred extra shafts, and equipment to make more arrows, and two dozen broadhead arrows, as well as fifty extra broadhead points, with triple-blade heads the military had designed for covert work many years before. These were called MA-3s, deadly, and if sharpened frequently, they were strong enough to reuse many times if you didn't hit a bone or miss and catch a rock. Looking at the moose, he salivated, thinking of the red meat and how it would taste roasted over a fire. But then he decided against it. The moose was a small bull, probably only six or seven hundred pounds, and nowhere near the fourteen or fifteen hundred pounds a large bull would weigh. But even so, it was a lot of meat to deal with, and he couldn't bring himself to waste anything he'd killed. He had gone hungry so long when he had first come to the bush. Food had been everything, and the thought of wasting any of it went against every instinct in his body. Even if he made a smoke fire and dried most of it in strips— he would still lose some meat. Still, he could see the shot. Close to the moose, close in but far enough away to avoid an attack, the bow already strung. Wait until he ducked under to draw the bow, 
and then, as soon as the head came up, release the MA-3 just in back of the shoulder, under the shoulder blade, and the broad head would go straight into the heart. He shook his head. Rehearsals were all right. He did them all the time. Came up with imaginary scenarios and how they would play out even if he didn't act. Like with Kay Gwadash. He thought of her often. She was the daughter of the Cree trapping family he had found that first winter in the bush. He had met up with them at the end of winter and had lived with them for three weeks until spring arrived, and with it, a plane to take him back to civilization. Kay Gwadash's white name was Susan Smallhorn, but he seemed to be thinking of her more and more by her Cree name. He thought of her constantly. She was his age, came up to his shoulder and a little more, had smiling, almond-shaped brown eyes, a full mouth and straight nose and long...